Hello and welcome to The Wardroom, a podcast dedicated to the leadership development of the U.S. Navy's engineering duty officers. I'm your host, Lieutenant Commander Kyle Miller. Today I'm joined by Captain Philip Malone of the EDO School in Port Wanimi to discuss the 2022 EDO survey results. Captain, thank you for joining me on The Wardroom. Kyle, no, thanks for having me. And thank you to Alex and Chantel and, and Sade and others that keep the, the podcast going here for our community. Sure thing. So we're here today to talk about the uh, 2022 EDO survey results. So looking through this survey conducted for this past year, what are some of your big takeaways? Yeah, the uh, survey, which is a, a baseline survey for our community, right? So it's the 2022 EDO Community Survey. The results of it uh, were analyzed and came out in February. And uh, some background on the survey. So it, it was uh, community-focused, but this is really a baseline survey for us. It's the first time that these particular questions and areas were addressed for the EDO community. And what you see in the results of the survey our comparisons to the overall Navy Health of the Force survey, which has been done a few times over the years. Matter of fact, we had our results come out for our community in, in February timeframe. And in July, another full Navy Health of the Force survey came out. So this is something that uh, CNO was very keyed up on to look at these particular topic areas for the surveys. The survey as you step through it, and it, it was posted to EDO Maine. It was posted also to Flank Speed. The survey is out there. About 44 pages of information provided to the community that's available for everyone to look through. When you look at it, it stepped through 15 major topic areas that included things such as inclusion, diversity, readiness of the force, connectedness, job satisfaction, a number of other areas that were captured. The key takeaway for me was what did we as the community do with this survey? You know, again, it's great. I hope everyone had a chance to look through those 44 pages. But, you know, the results and the action that Admiral Galinas took was he wanted to get focus groups looking through this survey and feedback from focus groups on what is it telling us as a community. So what did we do with that? I was asked uh, to work and bring together the focus groups and, and try to you know, look at what are going to be the key takeaways we should take from this 2022 baseline survey. We did that with the help of John Keegan going out and getting um, representation from all of our mentor groups, right? That's how we do things in the EDO community, right? One of the unique things that you'll see in the 44 pages is the fact that we know kidding is slice and dice the data by mentor group. That is something unique that uh, EDO community has that others that do this health of the force survey do not. So we had uh, input from a number of our communities. So when we looked at representation from all our mentor groups, we had ultimately 88 different respondents as part of different focus groups that were run by the mentor groups. They were brought back to the focus group that I was leading with other members of our community to break down, okay, what are the important things we should take away? So from the 15 topic areas, you know, the feedback from the focus groups kind of, you know, uh, had that about eight important areas. And after we looked really hard at those, there was four key areas that we, uh, we decided were the things that we need to focus on as a community. So those four key areas, the big takeaways, if you will, were work-life balance, community and connections, EDO career decisions, 
and readiness. So those were kind of the four big takeaways from the survey of the areas that were covered. When you read through the initial survey results, a lot of these things kind of start cross-connecting, right? You know, your career decisions, you know, they are, they are impacted by work-life balance decisions or, or uh, factors that are out there, as well as community and connection. So in the, it took about, uh, about six weeks for us to go through all the focus group efforts to key in on these four areas. Uh, and I really appreciated the group that came together. I'll highlight a few of those that really uh, were our leads here. You know, we dug in and kind of deep dive work-life balance. Uh, my staff here, Tanya McKnight, led that effort. Community and connections, you know, our, our, uh, our community manager, Savannah Gill, led that effort. On career decisions, Commander Jeff White, uh, there with PEO Ships, dug into that one. And then on uh, readiness, we had uh, from SSP, Commander Justin Stepanchek, who led that effort. So uh, I appreciate the team that came together that helped us draw out, you know, what were those key topics and key takeaways from the EDO survey. We can step through some of those takeaways, but I also want to give you an opportunity, Kyle, to hit some of the questions you may have had as you looked at the survey. And I think if we step through some of those questions, I'll be able to highlight what the focus groups brought forward in some of those areas. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great, sir. So first thing that piqued my interest and, and for the audience, if you haven't read through the survey, it's great. That's uh, very relevant to today's Navy and to our community. So first thing, as a previous soup salve rep and Alex's current soup salve rep, I'm sure this, this hit your mind first. But one of the questions was uh, readiness to fight and win the next war. The responses on that. So Right now, only 11% of EDOs responded that we are completely ready to fight and win the next war. So I guess in your focus groups, what hurdles did they identify that we need to overcome in order to increase our readiness? Yes, this was one of those areas that ultimately the focus group said, hey, this should be important to us as a community. So a lot of interest in this. Again, the initial questions in the survey were more generic to the entire Navy. But even after we went through and looked at it from a community perspective, uh, this was an area that the focus group said is important. So part of this uh, that we determined and I, my takeaway from looking at a lot of the, the comments from the focus groups related to readiness kind of two aspects. There was individual readiness part of that question. And then there was, hey, how are we a community doing? And what you see when you look through it, right, is the fact that, you know, we're very much biased by, you know, where we are, where are we in our career or what is our mentor group involved in? And so what you see from some of that is, you know, there's some areas that had really, really high, you know, 96% of SSP people think that they're ready to fight the next war. Should not be surprising, right? What is SSP there to do? That's our strategic deterrence. They are every day ready to fight that next war. Uh, meanwhile, on the low side of the house, we have our simmer folks, you know, those involved in maintenance and repair. As we know in our community, that's tough work. What we do is very unique, it's very difficult work. We're dealing with such a diverse set of material problems, supply problems, things of that nature. So when you're, you're dealing day in and day out on the maintenance side of the house, you tend to be biased to say, well, you know, I'm having a tough time doing what uh, I need to do here 
outside of conflict, if we were to get into a war or a conflict, how could I think that we're going to be ready? So I think there's that aspect of it, right? You know, just the fact that it's really tough to say that we're going to be ready to fight and win the next war when we have such a tough time right now uh, on the sustainment side of the house. So it's something that is, uh, I think, reflected in where our community leadership, though, is driving us, right? Some very significant uh, guidance right now has come out from ASNRDA related to you know, getting ready for a wartime footing. NAVSI and, and all the SISCOMs are working in order to shift, if you will, some of our focus to this readiness to fight the next war. We see that in our in the direction from uh, from CNO with Get Real Get Better, which is flowing down through all of our uh, you know S uh, two commands down to the S three commands in order to focus in this area. So I think the survey captured you know a lot of that you know was what what should be hey reflecting on how are we doing now and that in all cases not uh, where we need to be right when we look at on time delivery from availabilities and other things to where you need to get to. That's interesting. So next question kind of ties into what you're talking about with biases among the individual and potentially the the group. So two pieces of information I thought maybe were in conflict, but maybe you could straighten it out for me. So the the first one is 66% of EDOs, most EDOs, agree that we have the toughness, which is defined as the ability to thrive in any condition, no matter how physically, mentally, or spiritually challenging to fight and win the next war. So mo- most EDUs agree we have the toughness to win the next war. But we're going back to the last question, only 11% believe that we are completely ready to win the next war. So these two pieces of information kind of appear to me to say that EDUs aren't trained to win the next war, but we are smart, enthusiastic, and tough enough that we'll figure it out if it happens. That, that's uh, To me, that's what those two say. I don't know if that's what the focus groups agreed to on. Is this suggesting that there are potential exercises that we could be conducting in normal acquisition, repair, construction projects to better prepare for a wartime scenario in order to kind of flex the readiness muscle? Yeah, I think that I think you're reading it exactly right, Kyle. Most of us can look and say that you know individually, we believe that we would be ready individually, right? Based on um, you know why we're here serving based on the, the experience we had in our, in our line community jobs and our individual understanding of what's it going to take me with my, uh, the support I have from my family and the rest of, uh, of my command in order to uh, you know, fight that next war. I think that's reflected in there. And then I go back to my previous comments, right? You know, the 11% that says, hey, we as a whole community are not ready. What are we doing? Some of that, I think what the focus groups took was, you know, you ask someone, you are you a warrior individually in, in what you're doing day to day? Is that making you ready for the next war? And some of the comments from the focus groups were, well, you know, I spent a lot of time doing PowerPoint. I spent a lot of time working on budget or working on you just trying to get that last piece of material I need for the project. So those sort of frustrations lead us to say, well, how can we be ready for the big one if uh, these day to day grind things are difficult for me to get through? So I think that kind of ties that those two things together. Now, as far as your question on, you know, what are we doing to train and be ready for that? I would say, uh, again, there has been a number of directives coming down over the last couple of years tied to this very topic, right? 
those that aren't aware of, you know, ASNRDA in January of 21 put out his WARP uh, memos, which was the wartime acquisition response plan. Uh, and that was specific direction that we need to be ready both on the acquisition side as well as the warfighter side in order to support the next war. Specifically, Secretary Gertz said, hey, we need to establish and practice wartime readiness. It needs to be a core proficiency of both acquisition and the warfighting communities. And then he tasked each of the CISCOMs to go off with their PEOs and their field activities to establish a wartime acquisition response plan, the WARP plan, as you may, may or may not have heard of it. So since that time, there's been ongoing things that I've had visibility of because part of that came to the EDO school where we put together some high-level training related to battle damage assessment repair, for instance. So we dug into some of the direction that's out there. But this is ongoing. Tabletop exercises, you guys have the diver influence. Jay Young started uh, working a lot of this with his folks, but it goes well beyond, as you know, our small, unique capability that we have within the diving community. And now is basically at every one of our major activities where they are working based on NAVC direction on how are we going to be prepared and trained different in preparation for the next conflict, including the fact that, you know, we now have a flag officer, Admiral Dodson, specifically tasked with this from Admiral Galenis, and we'll see more action coming from Admiral Dodson here in the next couple of years as he, uh, he stands up and works that task. A few things that came out of the focus groups were things that, that we should do. They included, you know, what can we do to be more involved in exercises? There a way to get EDOs, uh, you know, some that are on the staffs participate in this, but what can we do to spread that out to others within the community in order to participate in some of the tabletop exercises and other things related to preparing for that next wartime scenario? I think a number of things are ongoing. Our community doesn't necessarily see that individually, but suffice it to say, I see a lot of activity actually in this area because every one of the captains that come through the schoolhouse is talking about this because of the tasking they're receiving from NAVC. Awesome. So next question kind of tied to two pieces you already talked about, but uh, I wanted to point out the Simmer community. They appear to be the least optimistic about our ability to fight and win the next war. And I know uh, you'd already mentioned this with probably due to tough time executing their repairs they're doing currently in a non-wartime environment. So kind of throwing up your hands saying, I, I don't know how we would be able to do this if we were in the middle of a war. But I guess in your mind, what do you th believe is driving this view? Is it just being in the middle of the bureaucracy during a non-wartime environment, throwing up your hands, say we could never do this in war? And then second part of that is what can the EDO community do to improve this outlook for Simmer and the rest of the mentor groups? Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot going on. I had an opportunity back east here a few weeks ago uh, for NAVC's Get Real, Get Better training, right, where literally uh, every echelon of our community was brought together to focus on a, how are we going to embrace the process improvement that is needed in our community. The largest one discussed was VCNO basically uh, having come and said, you know, you guys need to get better on getting ships out on time. And that's been ongoing effort. You know, there's been a number of pillars stood up at the flag level that have been really jumping into what is it we need to do to execute on time. Because I believe this comment from the Simmer group and some of the other repair mentor groups really ties into the fact that our performance is not good. It needs to improve. 
And when you take it from the deck plate perspective of looking at it you know, in, a, in a focus group or in a survey, not everyone has the full visibility of things that are going on to try to improve. But what is it we need to do to improve, right? We need to have the material available. We need to have discipline in our package process, right? Putting together the work packages, avoiding changes once we're in the job. And then we need to have the proper flow of technical authority. There's been a lot ongoing to push more technical authority down to the deck plate. That would remove some of that process and bureaucracy that it takes to get to, you know some decisions come from headquarters. So a lot of focus on this right now, Kyle, that I think are going to get at some of the things that right now I, I believe are, uh, again, I'll use the term biasing uh, some of the outlook in the community. All right. Thanks for that, sir. So next topic I would like to cover is the inclusion results. And the EDO community showed very high inclusion across the board, but women and minorities showed a slightly less inclusion rate than male or white participants. They're about anywhere between 8 to 11% less on the inclusion factor. From your perspective, are there any indicators as to why this would be the case? Yeah, the uh, focus group spent a lot of time looking in this area. You know, in general, we should you know, take some credit. You know, we, the EDO community, do score higher than the fleet average in, in most of these areas. But as always, we've got to strive to continue to improve. And this, again, baselining survey, it's good that we compared ourselves to a broader Navy, but we recognize that we need to dive in and look, what can we do community-wise to close that gap? You know, even this gap that says 8 to 11% less than the overall community, how do we get into that? So the area that the, the teams really jumped into had a lot to do with work-life balance and, and how do we ensure that we have an inclusive working environment that can address things like, you know, family planning, you know, what are, what are some of the uh, issues that have impacted our uh, female colleagues or those that are planning on families? And then what is it that we can do to ensure that those in our community are going to want to stay and serve? Quite frankly, for us, really, what are we going to do to keep people beyond the 20-year point? The reality is when you, when you look at our community, you know, most people that get in the community make lieutenant commander, and we have them typically to the 20-year point. There's a small amount they get out before that. But what can we do to improve in these areas to keep people beyond that 20-year point, wanting to make commander, move beyond commander to make captain? In general, you know, that's what we look at on the survey. What do we have to do that? Part of it that took away from the survey was there's a perception that some of our career tracks have limited opportunities. And some of those opportunities may uh, say that if I don't get to very specific jobs, I'm not going to be able to excel in our community. I mentioned uh, to this area, women feel that our family planning is constrained, I guess, for lack of a better term. You know, we're a limited window to start a family, uh, our issues that we need to work on. Some have felt that you can be discouraged from starting a family too early in your career. And then it gets harder to start one later in your career. And then how do you balance the professional demands at the senior levels when you're looking to start or expand a family. A policy specific on pregnancy with the EDO community was one that was pointed out. This is something that had been in the works for a couple of years, and the focus groups definitely said, hey, I know there's something that's being worked on. Let's get it signed out. That policy actually was recently signed out. 
I do think that's uh, that's an area uh, that shows this focus group effort in this survey, quite frankly, was a was a driver to get that policy signed out. Uh, and many of the people working on this focus groups, they were pretty passionate about seeing that get done. So those are some areas, I think, Kyle, that drive some of this gap you see uh, in the survey. Awesome. Thank you for that, sir. So more areas where the EDO community is doing well, connectedness, job satisfaction, cohesion, trust in command, organizational commitment, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They were All these areas were very high this year. Can you talk about maybe some of the efforts the EDO community has done in the past that could have driven these results? Yeah, again, compared to the overall Navy, we looked pretty good. This was an area that the focus groups wanted to drive into, specifically in these areas. Some ideas and some things that came out of the focus groups were, you know, we need to make sure that we're generating trust uh, and that we're being authentic. And how do we do that, right? Let's make sure that, you know, we're open and honest on uh, we allow our community, I should say, be open and honest on what their true career goals are. The focus group kind of had uh, feedback was, well, maybe I'm not, I shouldn't, I, I can't speak openly about what my career intention is because people are gonna, not going to give me the job I want after that. And that's something that uh, that we need to work on to know that we, if we don't have the honest feedback from our mentees and that mentoring relationship, that's something that you know, we want to make sure that they can be open and honest on, on what it is they want to go do. Some of the other things on this trust uh, piece had to do with, you know, in some cases, uh, some entering uh, or feedback from uh, senior folks has, uh, has been perceived as disrespectful and having a negative uh, interaction when we get in, in mentoring sessions or within, uh, you know, feedback from leadership. So those are areas that uh, the focus group said we need to make sure we, we work on. And then what do we got to do to align uh, what we say our our values are, if you will, or uh, the fact that we respect a work-life balance, yet that's not always what you see when you look at how your uh, more senior officers are acting or how you see your command uh, operating. Another area related to the, the connections and cohesion, some of the focus groups said, hey, you know, we need to do more. We need more to socialize just so we can get together and be more connected. That can be, uh, you know, sometimes that's tough when, uh, you know, you're in a command and, and folks live far apart, but it was an area that uh, was pointed out from the focus groups. So let, let's uh, get together, no kidding, socialize uh, to overcome if there are perceived areas where we're not connecting enough. And the other thing that they, uh, the, the JOs pointed out to the 06s, in some cases, it doesn't seem like you have a whole lot of interest in us. I think this is a pretty minor comment, but again, we want to respect all the comments in the focus groups. I would tell you that my observation is, uh, in general, it's how busy we are that leads to uh, maybe some of the the uh, perception that there's a lack of interest in the junior officers. But uh, believe me, we know that you're our future. So that's an area that we're going to take out of this uh, survey uh, and focus group effort and try to respond to. On the inclusion side of the house, it was pointed out that we see a lot of engagement in things like uh, the Network for Inclusion of EDO Women a lot of engagement from females in that, but not necessarily a lot of engagement from males. So what are we going to do? It'd be better to see our more senior folks, both male and female, involved in those efforts, not just the females, right? And so that's an area that we can go work on. And then the fact of the matter is, when you look at our senior levels, there is a lack of women in ethnic minorities and representation at the senior levels. So this is not a, a new phenomenon for us. 
but we need to recognize it. And I would tell you that in August at the uh, engineering duty captain training seminar, Admiral Ocano did a whole presentation related to some areas that the flag officers are going after in order to address this lack of diversity as we get at the senior levels of our community. Most of them, quite frankly, focused on the work-life balance and the family stuff that we mentioned earlier. Awesome. Thank you for that, sir. Okay, so next thing to talk about is EDO women. One data point I saw that stood out to me is 40% of EDO women report that there are processes, policy, or cultural barriers in the EDO community that negatively impact their ability to achieve their career goals. You've talked about some of these barriers. Do you have any idea on what we plan to do to reduce the size of these barriers for EDO women in particular? Yeah, I mentioned one of them. Again, the flag officers took this on. Admiral Ocano, one of the leaders in that area to, to, to drill into what is it we have to do to remove barriers. A lot of this had a discussion, as I mentioned earlier, was about family planning. And how do we make it more equal command to command on how we're dealing with things such as pregnancy in the workplace or how we're uh, preparing folks for uh, a new child coming. A part of that, as mentioned earlier, was the fact that we did sign out a pregnancy policy. That is now guidance out to our commanders uh, on how they should uh, prepare and work with service members uh, when they are pregnant to address whether it's industrial health things. So I think that's a positive step related to this, as well as ongoing uh, efforts such as the Engineer Duty Guiding Coalition and others that are continuing to be looking at what do we have to do to support and continue to grow the support uh, for uh, women within the Engineering Duty Officer community. I think there's been good efforts here recently, as well as historically, but my perception, and when you look at some of the numbers, I think it plays out. It's how do we ensure that our community is inclusive to allow women to get to that commander level and continue to serve through the captain level, because that's where uh, you'll see most of them deciding to make a different career decision. More to do in that area, Kyle. Absolutely. Okay. Last question for you, sir. So big topic in the, I would say, 04 and below EDO community right now is the low level of first look in zone 05 selections, right? Anytime uh, I'm talking to a JO going up for 05 board, it's uh, front of their mind. If this negative trend continues of first look in zone 05 selections, how do we expect this to affect our community and associated survey results in the future? Yeah, this was definitely a, an area of concentration when the career decisions portion of the survey uh, and the related focus groups came together. This is a challenge for those who are 04s looking. Things appeared a few years ago to be more predictable, and now they're not as predictable. And that has a negative impact on what's going on in the community from a what's my perception of understanding my career and being predictable in what I need to do next in order to prepare myself, whether it's for the board or the fact that board in zone look uh, now is more of a, you are now in the window for promotion. So definitely an area that the focus groups went after. They said, hey, what are we going to do to address the uncertainty of the band for promotion to 05? That's, that's how ultimately we captured it within the focus group. 
We need to acknowledge the fact that this has a negative impact on junior officers, and we need to communicate to manage these expectations. Some of the things that the folks group says, hey, we need to ensure that mentoring talks about, you know, the, the timing of your fitness reports, board preparation, and, and preparing people's expectations for the, what are the risks of fozzing. Now, community-wise, there has been a lot of focus on this from the flag level. Again, at the, uh, at the captain training seminar, Admiral Rucker and Admiral Downey provided some insight into what's been going on. As you may have heard about uh, the EDO leadership assessment pilots, this is one area that I believe will be connected ultimately to getting more predictable in our O5 results. You look at our community and the fact is the barrier to be commander command selected is very low. You compare that to other communities, the, you know, the line communities, right? Uh, there's a lot of very specific requirements you need to meet in order to be commander command selected. The SWOs have to take you know, practical tests and written tests and other things. Well, that becomes a very big factor when you get to the O5 level, right? Did you make it through all those wickets? We really, quite frankly, don't have anything. So we end up with a lot of very good records that don't have these way to, to cleanly show who is our commander command select folks. Now, yes, we don't have a whole lot of commander command opportunities, but that is an area that I believe we're going to see the EDO flags go down the path of saying, okay, we're going to use this commander leadership assessment pilot as a way to come up and have a, a little more teeth, if you will, to your, uh, your commander command stamp on your record. And then those folks that get that, that's going to be a clear signal to the board that will help clear up some of this unpredictable nature of what happens currently at the O5 board. Uh, the other thing that's going on is a lot of training from the flag level to those uh, such as myself who write fit reps. We need to be very clear on how we're writing our fitness reports. You know, that's training that's happening to, with the O6s. It's training that our head detailer and Mr. Keegan are doing to our commander selects here at the senior course to be very you know, specific on a fitness report. You know, that is a message to the board and we need to be very clear on how we write those so we're clear on who is best and fully qualified to get promoted. Ongoing uh, efforts there, Kyle, uh, that we'll continue to work on. Phil Malone's uh, uh, you know, take on this is that you know it's going to take a, a couple of years for us to work that out, but I believe those are a couple of things that are going to, uh, to work to address uh, some of this uncertainty at the 05 selection. That's awesome. I, that's a great way to categorize it, and I do like the Reduction of uncertainty, because I think that's uh, O3s and O4s, you know, you, you, you sort of plan out your career, plan out your next jobs, and then try to get as good a fit reps as possible and uh, hope for the best when you get to the O5 board. But if you can reduce that uncertainty by having a clear check up check to the board from the community through this leadership development pilot, uh, I think that'd be great. That's all the questions I got for you, Captain. I uh, really appreciate you joining me today. For the audience, if you haven't read through the survey results available on EDO Maine, and where was the other location this is posted, sir? On uh, Flank Speed. On Flank Speed. Okay. So you can uh, take a look through the survey, EDO Maine or Flank Speed. Again, thanks for joining me, sir. Appreciate it. Kyle, the other thing, uh, action I'll take is to make sure that 
the folk, I think most of the focus group information has been uh, distributed to the communities, but coming out of this call, I'll make sure that I get that posted again so folks can see, okay, you can start from the survey, then, then you can go to the engineering duty community survey focus group insights that was shared with our flag officers, as well as with, uh, with the captains. We'll get that posted as well. That's awesome. All right. Thanks again, sir. I appreciate it. All right, Kyle. Thank you very much. Thanks to Alex and Chantel and all those working on the podcast. Thank you for joining us in the wardroom. Special thanks to our sound engineer, Lieutenant Alex Schacht. If you have questions for our guests, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at thewardroompodcast at gmail.com or tweet or follow us on Twitter at thewardroompodcast.